Hi, I'm Max Clark, founder of ITBroker.com. This is a tech deep dive, and I'm here with Eric Hassenstab, who is the VP of Client Technology Solutions with Thrive Networks. And hopefully, Eric, I, I didn't bungle any of that, and you're going to tell me I did a great job. No, that's perfect. Uh, thank you very much, Max. Uh, very nice meeting you, and, uh, and good morning to all. We were Eric, we were just talking a moment ago, but you've been around the block a little bit. And, and prior to prior to Th uh, Thrive, you were with SunGuard, and you were telling me prior to that you were with... Um, uh, you were actually out in the field doing enterprise. So if you want to give me a quick, we should actually probably capture this because I think it's relevant. Yeah. I mean, I guess from an experience perspective, uh, I, I've been in a sales engineering kind of a solution architecture role uh, for, for many years. And it really is being able to work with clients to find out what are the challenges, what are the pain points, what are they up against, what's keeping, keeping them up at night and really kind of formulating solutions and proposals um, to really kind of fulfill those needs or, or fill those gaps or kind of kind of help them, as I mentioned, uh, kind of sleep better at night. So depending on the technologies and capabilities, I'll be able to kind of bring things to bear. Um, I've been, uh, I've worked, whether it's in uh, supporting cable companies specifically or enterprise or small business, uh, medium-sized, mid-sized companies. Uh, so get a lot of exposure into uh, various clientele, various kind of needs and, and uh, concerns and, uh, and, and alike. And really, uh, it makes it very exciting. So, I mean, it really keeps it interesting. Every day can be something really, can truly be something different. My first exposure with SunGuard was a little bit over 20 years ago, and we had contracted them to provide a DR, BCDR solution, where they would literally roll out a semi-truck for us and park a truck in the driveway and provide workstations and servers and, and feed in our tape backups. And it was, it was actually very impressive. Now, fortunately, we never had to use that, but um, I know that was pretty common, especially, especially enterprises that were based in areas with tornadoes and hurricanes that got a little bit more, you know, natural disasters and on a more frequent basis. So, um, you know, unique service. I mean, as you mentioned, so SunGuard, I mean, they literally developed the, uh, the disaster recovery kind of solution way back in the 70s. And it really was, think of it as literally the timeshare model. Uh, I think it was uh, Sun Oil at the time had a mainframe and said, you know what, I bought this secondary mainframe. It's just sitting here doing nothing. Um, maybe I can kind of slice out some time if somebody ever needs it for a disaster. And then that's how the, the kind of the product ever kind of came to an evolution. Um, fast forwarding years later, many years later, they, they added and augmented and, and uh, kind of kept up with the, with the times over the years. Um, where they, where they are today, obviously it's a little bit different situation, but we are here. So we're here to talk about Thrive and I've been looking forward to this for a little bit. And if you could do me a favor and just let's start with a quick high level background or overview and, and what Thrive is. And so that way I can make sure that I'm not coming into this with any assumptions that are incorrect and, um, straight from the horse's mouth. Got it. Yep. So Thrive. So we are an managed service provider and an MSSP. So, and we're, we're, when you think of from that perspective, it's, it's really kind of a two pronged approach where we can support clients, whether their, uh, their security needs can be fulfilled with the, with, uh, with Thrive as a whole. We don't outsource. We're not looking to, to leverage external companies. We have our own security operations center. We have our own staff. We, we manage the, all the different technology and deliver that for the clients. But we also have the capabilities to do full-on IT services as well. So everything from a managed service provider perspective. So we're not handing it over. So if we're not from a security perspective, you have all the eyes and ears and capabilities and, and identifying an issue. And we can also jump in, remediate those issues as well. So for many of our clients, um, so when you look at the, the kind of history of the company and where we've grown to, 
we started way back in like 2000, for example. Um, and then through organic growth, as well as many acquisitions, acquisitions over time, we've grown to about two, uh, 1,200 employees altogether. And that 1,200 employees are scattered um, in the United States, as well as now expanded outside of the United States. But when you look at, again, our, our clientele that we really kind of focusing in on, it, it can range anything from small business up through enterprise, but really from the, the we're tailoring the solutions based on really the client needs. In some situations, we're literally doing soup to nuts, everything. We are their IT staff. We do everything for them. Whereas some other very large companies, we may be only doing a specific slice. Maybe we're going to be doing just OS patching or just a security layer, whatever that may be, but be able to kind of fill those gaps and plug those holes uh, on behalf of the client. So 20 years ago, what put you as a Microsoft partner um, and, a, and a background in Microsoft? So, uh, you know, other platforms have become more and more common. Are you still solidly Microsoft focused? Or are you seeing, you know, diversity of devices and endpoints and operating systems and, and systems? I mean, what um, what's your what's your operational focus at this point in terms of companies? Yeah. So from a from a, a, a vendor perspective, Microsoft is still a, a huge player in the in the business. So we're we are a gold gold partner. Um, we leverage from everything from operating systems that are running on either customers infrastructure or Thrive Cloud's infrastructure as well. Any of those operating systems, we're providing management, patching, ongoing support on those, as well as we're doing a lot within Azure environment. And then in addition to that, Microsoft 365 is a significant practice for us. So we do everything from uh, migrations into Microsoft 365, hardening, kind of optimization, single sign-on capabilities, DLP capabilities, but also uh, we have, a, as I mentioned, a significant practice for Microsoft collaboration as well. So everything from SharePoint and what a better use and how do you kind of define for your intranet and extranet capabilities and really kind of personalization from your sites and differentiation or segregation from your various departments and, and the like. So Microsoft is absolutely a, a, a massive player in the space. And, and we, we have a significant portfolio that aligns with uh, their products and services. There's this, I find this assumption a lot with companies of, oh, we can just go on to Microsoft 365 or we can go onto a competitive platform and everything's just done for us. Like we don't need to have somebody help us. We can just, you know, Microsoft's just going to do it. Uh, that's not usually the case though, all the time. I mean, we talk about just, you know, you, you mentioned a migration practice and, you know, moving applications or data from on-prem or into cloud or probably also like acquisitions, mergers and acquisitions, divestiture, divestiture you know, when you're, when you're talking with a new company, and I'm going to go into the SMB versus enterprise here in a moment, but when you're talking to a new company, at what iteration usually you're finding them with 365? And what are you finding with people in terms of pain points or problems that they're having with 365 that they're kind of waking up to and saying, okay, we actually do need somebody to help us do these things? Like, you know, and, and for me, you know, I've been doing this for so long, I, you know, like email, antivirus, spam filtering, email filtering, these sorts of things, you know, um, not to say that Microsoft isn't doing a good job at this, but compared to layering on specific solutions designed around these needs, it's not great. I mean, if you were looking at, you know, there's a reason why Proofpoint and Mimecast and these other platforms are so big today. So anyways, I don't want to preach too much here, but I'm kind of curious, you know, what, what is the customer pain point? What does the customer journey look like? As, as they're coming to you and, and saying, you know, raising their hand and saying, hey, you know, we, we do need help with 365 and, and what kind of help is that? Yeah, and, and you really touched on it in the, in the beginning about 
when you look at what's included in the license, it gives you a huge list of, or I don't want to call it a laundry list, but literally a laundry list of, of things that could be enabled. They're not on by default. In most cases, you, you really need to know what needs to be turned on and how to turn it on. And so a lot of that is, is capabilities that may be built into the license or may need to be added on. So if there's add-on additional licenses that need to be added into or additional features or dependencies, all those can be kind of layered in. Um, from a defense and depth, depth perspective, you touched on also from a layering perspective. So we'll often lever leverage um, platforms that integrate with the Microsoft 365. So for example, like Checkpoint Harmony or using a Mimecast, where we can do from an email hygiene perspective of uh, filtering out if there's a spear phishing, phishing, malware and, and the like, but also really kind of truly protecting the end user um, as that mail flow is coming through in that platform. And again, from our perspective, uh, the performance and capabilities and, and, uh, and the like of those two platforms, for example, they're, they're in my perspective, uh, head and shoulders above what you'd get standard out of the box kind of platform. I was a little cynical when I started seeing Checkpoint Harmony out in the market. Um, and I knew it was a lot of MSPs and MSSPs were, were bringing it to their clients because, you know, obviously there's probably a, an, an incentive or, or value in terms of their you know, VAR program or resale program. Mm -hmm. But it actually is turning out to be a really good platform for people. And, um, you know, I've had to I've had to change my thinking about Harmony a lot. Um, and just the, the capacity or capabilities of the platform really feel actually pretty fantastic. And then they have a relative, they have a solid, you know, um, I mean, they're not doing a full sassy play because they don't have the hardware and the SD-WAN appliance, right? But they've got mm -hmm. this core component of this overlay for security for a lot of companies, remote access and secure gateways and, you know, every other acronym yeah, under it, the sun, right? Right, exactly. And, and so you, and you're hitting on, so Checkpoint Harmony, it was a, through an acquisition, they acquired a company called Avanon. So it's uh, difficult to, to not shake my head and, and be able to kind of continue to say Avanon. Uh, so if I fall into doing that again, I apologize. Uh, but so their model is is very interesting. When you look at like a, a proof point or, or a Mimecast, it's, it's a secure email gateway, something that sits in front of Microsoft 365 and gives that front end kind of, it's got to pass through this gateway first, then it gets handed to the environment. Whereas a, a checkpoint is more kind of API communication, but the mail flow itself and the actual data flow is actually going directly to them. So they put in kind of mail rules that says anything that needs to get delivered to Microsoft 365, it's going to hairpin, hit Avanon, do all the cleansing, purging, sandboxing, do everything it needs to do to make sure that that data stream is clear that there's no embedded or hidden kind of uh, attachment or whatever it may be. And then it gives it back to directly to Microsoft 365. So at that point from an email delivery, um, it's now, you know that it's clean. Um, in addition, it also pulls in things like SharePoint and OneDrive and, and Teams and, and, and the like. So it's not just focused on just email delivery, which uh, many of the platforms are only doing the email, it's doing uh, much more. Also really important, that distinction, because if you've got a gateway that sits outside of the email platform, it can't monitor or defend from stuff that's actually happening internally as well. And <clears throat> there's there's plenty of examples of this, I'm not creating this, right, where 
gain access to internal systems and then use that to then launch attacks or go interverse laterally inside the organization. And email, of course, is a really big point for that because if you can trick somebody in your finance team to send a wire out because it comes from the right email address, I'll pick on them. Ubiquity Networks uh, wired $40 million out of their account because somebody thought that it was from the CFO and they were buying a company. Now, they were lucky they reclaimed most of that money. So, you know, that's not, not a terrible story. As a Microsoft Gold partner and as a as an MSP supporting Microsoft you know, devices and desktops, and then um, a gold partner supporting Azure and 365, that creates a little bit of, of conflict or friction for you, doesn't it? Where you say, you know, Microsoft has, um, you know, E5 security licenses and Defender for email, and, you know, they really want to envelop everything around this estate. And, and when you're talking and, and working with a client through these things of like, how do you, how do you help make those decisions? I mean, should we be running Microsoft, you know, Defender and Sentinel, or should we be running, you know, a CrowdStrike or a Sentinel One or a Carbon Black or fill in the blank EDR? You know, what SIM do we use or what email platform do we use? And do we do we embed that all with Microsoft or do we take some out? So um, how how do you guys, how do you manage that? And how do you manage that, you know, everything inside of Microsoft versus some stuff inside of Microsoft and some out? Yeah, and, and I think it's, there's kind of multi-layers there. I mean, when you look at from, when you're trying to to bring all things into into Microsoft, and not saying that they're they're not doing a, a great job, it's you may not be getting the best of the best in there. And from my perspective is where um, customers can take the approach of there. I'm just going to go out and buy point vendor solutions and all try to manage all those individually. And now you've got this sprawl of various various vendors and contracts that you have and difficulties. I've got various dashboards that I have to manage it all. And, I, and it's it's not coming into a security operations center and the like. So that poses a different challenge. What drive what we do essentially is we'll take the, the, the approach of what is best for the client themselves. What is the best way to protect them? And then again, I'll go back to keep on mentioning about defense in depth or layering kind of capability. It's saying how are we going to protect this and what are the various layers that we're going to have and what is the best solution to do that it might be microsoft or it might be something different and in that case we'll come in with here's the solution but behind it is is the support that you have and that's really to me is the value so anybody can go out and buy an a point solution if they didn't configure it properly they're not tuning it properly and they're not managing it properly it's not going to work well so in our case We've tuned it, we optimize it, we continue to support it, and we're continuing to kind of update and, and uh, manage that along the way. And that to me is, is the value. So having that security operations center and having the, the kind of the, the wherewithal or the fortitude of the technology and knowledge at our abilities and within our, our abilities is, is, is to me the differentiator. I have seen, um, this is a big pet peeve of mine where a lot of smaller IT consultancies and MSPs have pushed into the MSSP space, you know, the managed security service provider side of things. And it feels like that's accelerated to some degree, especially with, you know, some of these platforms which offer, you know, a lot of integrated holistic solutions, right? So, you know, maybe it's a, a Fortinet-based system or maybe it's just their, their, their Microsoft partner you know, they're at whatever tier, but they can sell E5 or push the client into E5 and they can present and they can say that they're, you know, we're going to, we're going to do your security for you as well. And, and I have these conversations with companies and you find out this MSP maybe has six or seven engineers. I'm not saying they're not really good six or seven engineers, but 
you know, from coming from that environment decades ago and just understanding that, um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not starting this from a standpoint of like, let's say bashing that industry, but I, I kind of feel like that's not doing the, co- the customer service. You know, they're not getting what they think they're getting. And the reason why they're not getting what they, I mean, they just don't even know what they're not getting that they should be getting. Right. And, you know, at 1200 employees, you know, you are a very large MSP. Like this is a substantial operation that Thrive is running at this point. How have you, how do you approach this with people? I mean, you know, are you in, you say, I mean, SMB to enterprise is a huge, I mean, that is a, a vast swath of different market. So you're competing against other MSPs, especially smaller, you know, mom and pop size. And I say mom and pop, I mean, you know, anything under 20, you know, 20 employees in an MSP is, I mean, it's a small MSP operation. They're, they can be very specialized and be very excellent what they do, but it's hard to provide security at that size because, you know, you just don't have the resources for it. So, you know, what is that, what does that talk track look like for you and, and how, you know, how do you coach and counsel people through this? Yeah. And so, I mean, and you're hitting on both, both ends of the spectrum from a size and scale of either an MSP, a very extremely large kind of a service providers that are out there or IT outsourcers that are out there, as well as the small, smaller boutique shops that, that are in there. And some of those boutique shops, they don't even have their own security operations center. They may outsource that completely to another MSP. And so you're, you're thinking that, okay, I've contracted with this company, whatever the organization is, and I think Fred is doing a great job, but who are the people that are behind the scenes and who are they leveraging? So where is my data? What am I going through? Who's, who's uh, If it's this external company that's doing the MSSP, looking at security capabilities, and then they have to swivel chair to the MSP, a different company, to be able to kind of support it. And then to your point about the, the size and scale and staff and so forth, you get the smaller the company is, the more limited they're going to have from a, a resources, from a knowledge base, from an experience or, or escalation capabilities, because you have just a much smaller group to be able to work with. Um, so Thrive's approach is, is very different. So um, as I mentioned, so we're not outsourcing, leveraging external companies. Um, our security operations center that we have, we leverage directly. It's our employees monitoring 24-7, 365. Um, but when we need to jump into a platform, a firewall switch, wireless access point, um, Microsoft 365, or what it is, whatever it is to close that gap or close that issue or remediate that issue, we're able to jump right in to be able to execute that. Um, from a service delivery perspective, so we take a, a very different model also that um, we're not a, a pool of 900 uh, technicians that, that you're just calling into a call center. And really what that's meant to be, so we'll break it into each pod is kind of either from a vertical focus, maybe it's healthcare or finance or, or other, um, as well as we'll define a specific client to a specific pod. So you get familiarity with the pod members and people that are on that pod staff and they become very familiar and intimate with your network, your environment, what makes you unique. So you'll get to know the, the, the person on a, a name, to ba- name basis. Hopefully you're not calling them every single day on, on something, but it's meant to be that giving more of a white glove type of boutique kind of approach, 
but with all the capabilities to be able to draw in from, okay, I've, I haven't run into this issue or I didn't run into this issue recently, but I know I can tap into all of these, this expertise in either other pods or within other, other layers within the organization to be able to draw that in. So whether it's a Microsoft, going back to that, if it's a Microsoft-related issue or VMware or if it's a, a Meraki or whatever it may be, the technology, to be able to say, okay, this is getting a little bit beyond my kind of knowledge and skill set, but I can tap into all of these other kind of knowledge base and, and reach directly out to uh, to uh, anyone else on, on the pods, uh, either my individual pod or external and uh, the other pods. Um, it also gives the ability to say from an overflow, if, if for some reason that MSP that has 20 people, if they get a, a, an event or uh, something else that's going on, they may be taxed right out of the gate where we have the ability to say each pod has overflow capabilities. So if normally your New England one, for example, that you're tagged to, you have the ability to roll into, that's always your primary pod, but if for some reason it's running a little hot, we can always roll into New England two or New York or, or, uh, or elsewhere. I'm taking notes because there's stuff I want to come back to here. Let's talk about your customer for a moment. You say SMB to enterprise, and there's no real like hard and fast rule for this. So I'm, cu I'm curious how you guys classify this segment size, and, and then so we can kind of dig into that a little bit more. Yeah, I, I mean, I would say that, so from, a, from an SMB perspective, I mean, we, we could have uh, fun, small fund companies that might be in New York that could be kind of a, from five to 20 people within, within their organization, or we could have companies that have thousands of employees. I mean, I would say our sweet spots are probably in the, the 100 to 2,000 kind of employees where the majority of the, that's from a seat perspective. But really, it's, it's less on the size of the company. I think it's more on the mindset of the client to be able to say, you know what, people that have a, a kind of, I'm in healthcare or I'm in finance and I have sp specific compliance or regulations or audit requirements or achievements that I, I must meet they'll have the mindset that I need that same defense in depth kind of methodology to be able to say, I need to secure my environment. I need to have all of these things kind of in place and really kind of working with it as a true partnership versus somebody that's just going to, I mean, that 20 person MSP going back to that might be a perfect fit for someone that doesn't prioritize that and, and maybe some that are on the, on the fringe of that. But if someone is sincerely or seriously considering kind of, I need to, not just check the box, but I need to really protect and cover myself and cover those bases. That's really the, the kind of the customer mindset that we have. It's an interesting definition. I, you know, the SMB and this like 50 to 100 seat, 50 to 100 employees is, is really like the barren wasteland in terms of like technology and, and sophistication because companies have crossed that line into actually needing sophisticated things, but still being too small to whether it's be on the radar from the um, uh, ISVs and you know what's what's available to you or just the budgets in order to actually deploy some stuff, it gets really tough. It's tough, you know, in that size, and you know you find you find outliers and unicorns and people that are willing to spend anything on their IT infrastructure, which is you know the exception, not the rule. And at twenty people, you know, they're spending you know adjusted probably thousand fifteen hundred dollars, you know, a seat per month in in total IT infrastructure. And um, because they just don't have the mass to amortize that, you know, and, and aggregate, you know, across across a lot of, you know, a lot of different employees. 
So for you, it's, you know, what I really heard about this is it's less about size and more about need. You know, do they have a need that has triggered this? And and you see that more from, you know, audit and compliance and objectives, or are you seeing that also from, you know, hey, we were with, you know, Bob and Sally's house of MSP.com and we had a problem and they went out to market and, and they stumbled into you and, and, you know, you're taking business that way. Yeah. And I think it comes in from many different kind of a multi-pronged type of approach. So we, we've had uh, in numerous times where a client has outgrown the, the capabilities of whatever MSP, whoever it may be. And again, I'm not knocking small MSPs, but you can get to a scale and size and, and capabilities or, or deficiencies that they have that they've just outgrown. And so that's really from a value perspective is where we can really kind of bring that, that client in and really kind of say, here's the capabilities, here's all the, the, the layers that we can bring and bring to the equation that are gonna help you. From, a, uh, from an other end of the kind of the spectrum perspective, when you look at the, the very large MSPs, where if you're literally just treated as just a number, where if you're getting to the, these monsters of, a, of, a, of an MSP, you literally may be just, okay, you're just one of the many. And you're literally calling into a pool. You're calling into a general pool. You're not getting that that kind of white glove kind of support where you're getting connected with the, with somebody that you know, you've had experience. You don't have to retell that same story over and over and say, this is what makes me different. This is what's in my environment and the like. So we, we see kind of a combination of both. Um, the end of it, from my perspective, is educating the client. So it's really... There, there's, you're always going to run into, I don't call them tire kicker, kickers, but it's somebody that's going to say, you know what, I'm just looking for the best price and I'm looking for the best, they, just give me the bare bones, kind of whatever it's going to be. But when you really kind of educate them and say, you know what, um, these are the risks that are out there and these are the ways that we can help you and really kind of run through exactly why it's important to have all the different layers of I mean, it's just the basic blocking and tackling. Are you doing backups? Are you doing patching? Are you doing, do you have a disaster recovery plan? Or, and what's your goal for that? And then really kind of moving right up the stack to be able to say, where are the gaps along the way? And then identifying, okay, this is something that they're either willing to accept that risk at that layer, or we're going to kind of, we need a solution to help plug that hole. And so it's through that education, I think, that we find that somebody says, you know what, why didn't this other XYZ vendor tell me about this? Or why didn't they run through this scenario? Why didn't they have that? So I think it's really, to me, it's, it's, it's really meant to be a collaborative kind of discussion with those clients to be able to say, you know what, here's your exposure. Here's ways that we can help, um, whether you're going to plug that yourself or it's ways that we can come in and come in and help plug that hole. Um, but it needs to be done. This is the this is the conflict with IT where you have, you know, it's absolutely essential for every business everywhere now at this point to have a functioning IT. And um, waiting for this thunder to to go off here. It, but at the same time, for most companies, IT is not viewed as um, uh, you know a revenue generating operation for them. It's it's an expense, right? So. The friction becomes, okay, well, we have to manage and constrain expenses and drive expenses down, not necessarily invest in them, right? So you, you're, you're kind of in this, like, we need this, and it has to work perfectly. And if we if it's not working, then it's a problem for us. But at the same time, you know, don't spend any money on it, right? And there's, like, this, there's always this, like, 
push and pull, I feel like, you know, that happens inside of companies, especially if they're not technology focused businesses where they're actually driving revenue out of, you know, out of tech. Now, you talk about trading and investment funds, you know, um, Microsoft Word probably isn't viewed as critical for most of them, but their turret systems and their trading terminals are absolutely pretty critical to them, and they spend a lot of money on those things. Um, let's talk about onboarding. And and you touched on technology, and you started rattling off a bunch of different names. I mean, at this point, what, there's, uh, you know, uh, let's just call it, you know, half a, a dozen, let's say a dozen main network, you know, pieces of network gear and firewalls are in the market today, right? And, you know, you can say Palo, Juniper, Cisco, Meraki, SonicWall, FortiGate, you know, um, I'm missing a whole watch guard. I'm missing a whole bunch here, right? And there's checkpoint. I mean, there's there's plenty, right? How, From a support infrastructure standpoint, um, you have a challenge of now being pretty broad to support a diverse customer base. But at the same time, it's hard to become operationally excellent in a dozen different firewall technologies. So are you taking people on and saying, okay, we'll, we'll run this, but we want to replace it? Or is it a, you know, sorry, you're running this stuff. We just can't support you because we just can't support you. Or, you know, like how, what, what does an onboarding evaluation look like and, and how, you know, from a client engagement, you're going to have, you know, somebody in a sales capacity going out and developing a relationship that at some point has to turn it over to, you know, uh, an engineer and an engineering team and somebody that can onboard and then go and actually operationalize that support. So, you know, from like, let's, let's just talk soup to nuts, like top to bottom, you know, how does, how does this work for Thrive and how are you engaging with a client, you know, from the beginning and working all the way to like onboarding and, and doing continuing improvement? Got it. So from a, an evaluation perspective of the platforms first, um, so we absolutely have our our preferred platforms that we say on on platform essentially. So those are, like I say, for example, it would be like FortiGate firewalls that's sitting in front of like Meraki switches or Cisco switches and Meraki wireless access points. Uh, there are other platforms that we can support as well, but we'll usually gravitate to that is as as our platform. You hit on an extremely important point is. When you have the expertise on that platform, it makes it a much more consistent, repeatable model. And at the end of the, the end of the day, it's that's what you're selling to the client. It's the end result. How are you supporting it? How are you delivering it? How are you kind of providing that day-to-day -day kind of care and feeding for that environment? If it's something where if it, and I and I see that oftentimes with real small MSPs, with they'd be willing to take on anything. It's kind of like okay, I've got. Fred firewall service over here, or and I've got SonicWall over there, and I've got this this other one that's uh, Palo Alto, and I've got now I don't have the expertise because I'm running in all these different directions and researching on online on this, and okay it was uh, WatchGuard firewall has this command, and Palo has that command, and Cisco has this one, and I'm trying to cover all these bases with a team of five people. It's just yeah, and so what we'll do is, and so we do we have a, a tight kind of a um, solution review process of what is considered kind of off platform and will, whether we'll kind of support it. So not saying that there's we're, we're, the goal is to exclude, but it's meant to be what's going to make us successful, what's going to make the customer successful. So because what we it's doing a disservice to the client. If we said, you know what, we'll take our new platform, but we only have one person that knows the product. And if that one person knows the product and he goes to Aruba, he's on vacation, 
Now what are we going to do? Now we're going to be struggling, struggling to try to uh, support and provide the value to that, that client. So there are absolute cases that where we'd say we want to unify the platform. There's obviously all, always um, alternatives and, and kind of a deviations from that. And again, that's where we'll have a, a solution review to be able to say, can this specific platform, because it, maybe the client just bought it six months ago, can we accept this specific platform during this time, but with the intention of maybe down the road, we're going to kind of move to our, our own internal platform or our, our on-platform platform. So you mentioned FortiGate firewalls in front of Cisco or Meraki switches and access points. And this is something that's been very fascinating to me, you know, watching and observing because if you got a Palo Alto firewall, Palo doesn't sell switches and access points, right? So you're running something else behind it. And replacing a Meraki MX with FortiGate or with Palo makes absolute is a no-brainer sense, right? You know, it absolutely, if you've had experience with the MX, you, you very quickly understand why you would not run it. What's fascinating to me, though, is how limited FortiGate, Fortinet has actually been in penetrating the switch and access point side of the house, where it is exceedingly common to see FortiGate firewalls with Meraki switches and access points, but very uncommon to see FortiGate firewalls with Fortinet switches and APs. And I mean, is that something you guys are starting? I mean, has that is, is is Fortinet penetrating this? Are you starting to see refreshes with with you know this hardware coming in, or is it still this is just like we run FortiGate firewalls, we run Meraki switches and access points, and that's just that's just the way things are everywhere now. It's not every day that we run into where we where where we hear of kind of a, a need where a client has FortiGate Forti switches or they're they're interested in this model, uh, but. Our our experience are are is, has been very positive and and and, um, and the capabilities both from a, a UI and management capability dashboards visibility troubleshooting capabilities with Meraki is is extremely valuable. So to be able to have kind of where it's it's all in a, a cloud portal now I need to either provision it I want to make a change and I can make that as a global change or individual regional change. So it's a very powerful platform. So that's from our experience is not to disparage uh, the Fortinet switches might be uh, might have come a long way and maybe 40 APs have, but we we know from a consistency and from a platform and from a product perspective perspective, um, it, those two have uh, or from a, a switch and a wireless access points have, have been uh, have been fantastic. Uh, we do also support other wireless access point platforms as well as other switch platforms as well. Uh, for example, we'll do extreme switches and we'll do Aruba switches as well. So, but it really depends on on the client need and really what their their goals are and size and scale. Well, I mean, Aruba makes sense because it's HP, right? So, you know, you see a lot of HP out in the world still, especially in enterprise. Extreme, I haven't seen in a long time. Well, that's not true, um, but uh, they do have wonderful purple, you know, looking. I mean, you can't you can't you can't discount the purple the purple switches. Um, but I mean, this is, all these companies are fighting to expand, you know, what's the word I'm looking for? I, it's not convergence. It's, you know, to expand the estate that they're actually, you know, talking to. Right. And so just, I mean, so Cisco, right. So Cisco purchases Meraki, um, you know, Cisco at one point had three different SD-WAN solutions that they were pushing. They acquire OpenDNS, they acquire Duo, right. And so now... 
So now you get into this whole thing where you could say, okay, yeah, you could you could buy everything from Cisco, but it's not the same console, it's not the same UI, it's not the same look and feel. You're going to have um, identity access management and multi-factor over here, and you're going to have, you know, your secure web gateway CASB DLP function over here. And well, now if you're using a Meraki firewall and the MX firewall, then there's a, a, a button you can press now and then launch the other console and you can kind of integrate into it. And then there's, you know, program rules for sales of you have to have an MX in order to get into certain programs from an umbrella and, and things like that that they're trying to influence. Palo's doing this with Cortex. You know, Fortinet's doing this where they're, they're, they've got um, their their EDR solution and their SIM solution. and and But then over in the corner... You've got this small animal called Microsoft, and and you know how 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 are you guys navigating this from your, with your customer of saying you know you know the example right you know you should have a FortiGate firewall you should have a Meraki switch but you should have you know Defender EDR and you should have you know this and this for SIM and we're going to use this for threat and tell and we're you know and. And because I mean, it's a lot of Legos. I mean, in some cases, these Legos already exist, which might be the easier example. Like everything's already there. You just have to come in and make it work properly. But when when you start talking about taking blocks out and putting new blocks in, and I mean, you get in this crazy Jenga tower very quickly. Yeah, and, and I think it kind of comes back to when you were talking about you, you're either managing all, trying to manage all of these individual point tools that you have in environment, or you kind of go with this unified one solution that, and to not to pick on Microsoft, but they'll try to promote everything as being all within this one platform. Well, if everything's all in that one platform, are you getting the best service capability need and, and, and alike within that one solution? Also is who's really behind the scenes? Again, going back to that tuning, the expertise, the who's watching from a security operations center, do you have the staffing? Do you have the expertise? Do you have the ability to really kind of do that tuning? And that's where, again, I, I always kind of gravitate back to Thrive's strength is, is the platforms are great. Platforms are platforms, but the end of the end of the day is to deliver that solution. We're delivering a product, delivering that the kind of the end result for the clients. So from a SIM perspective, for example, we run both Fortinet's Fortisim as well as Fortisore. Um, so someone could literally go off the street, buy those licenses, deploy it themselves, and they can manage it. But it's it's getting a pilot license, learning how to, to learning how to get how to how to fly a plane, doing all that maintenance, and they can take on that role themselves. Or you're literally kind of saying that you know what, Thrive, you've got the security operations side, you've got the security analysts, you have the operations staff and staff and depth and knowledge and capabilities to be able to deliver that. I want that to be able to deliver it as a service. And again, to me, that's really the value. And so whether there's multiple dashboards that we're managing or whether it's kind of one unified kind of a delivery model solution to the client, the end result is they just want to run their business. And we're here to provide the kind of the, the layers of protection and foundation for them. How do I want to phrase this? Think about this carefully. There's a lot of, I find a lot of personalities in, in IT that still want to own and operate and manage things themselves. And of course, that's crazy to me because I come from that world and doing that. And, and you know, just from the standpoint of being able to take a vacation, forget like the operational and organizational risk of like, you know, uh, I, I look at it in like the lens of like, what happens if I stop a bus, you know, or, you know, one day, like what happens? Um, 
But it's and and I see this conflict now occurring inside of organizations where there maybe the CIO or the CTO of the company understands that risk and they have a limited amount of, of staff and headcount and they're concerned with um, consistency deliverability um, value right like it's just you know they want their staff doing high leverage activities for their company and but then there's an IT director that maybe isn't on the same page and still has this idea of like oh I want to own all this equipment I want to manage it myself and that conflict is really interesting and fascinating to watch on the outside of it because in that case, the CTO is literally telling the IT director, I want you to do more important stuff for the business. And the IT director is saying, well, I want to own this firewall. And like, you know, we used to talk about like, you know, server, server hugging, you know, people used to use that term. But I, I'm, it, it's, I'm, I'm curious how you're seeing this evolution taking place because, you know, a 24-hour, seven-day-a-week, you know, like it's, it's seven bodies to have one person on call. And, you know, ratios when I was starting was 100 to 120 employees per one IT person was kind of the ratio inside of organizations. And I've seen these ratios at like 160, 180, 200 to one kind of size at this point now. So you just don't have that capability. I don't care how much RMM you have in place and how much automation you have in place. Like you just can't deal with that kind of work internally, you know, and, and deliver quality product and quality service back to your, back to your company. So, you know, how do you guys see this 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 coming out? I mean, at, at fifty employees, you probably don't have you know the company doesn't have an in house IT right, but at a thousand employees, they still have in house they have in house IT right. Like that's you know it's a critical function for them, and and that's where you'll see uh, significant differences as as you pointed out from a size and scale of the client. So what we're delivering to an enterprise company that has, as you mentioned, thousands of employees and and a fully fully staffed IT is going to look very different than somebody that a uh, uh, four to 50 person company. And, and our value um, from whether if it's somebody that has, hey, you're not, that, that's my role, that's my job, I, I'm at risk and I'm, now I'm gonna create conflict, will come in and really kind of say, here are the specific needs and here are the things that, that we know that we're hearing that, that you're, whether they're having challenges with. And these are the individual things that we can help you with. And so we'll come in say, for example, if somebody just literally said, you know what, I don't want to deal with day-to-day -day OS patching. Can you handle that? And third-party patching, we'll solve that. And for that client, if it's a large-scale client and we're just solving that for them, we'll take that on. And so in, in Security Operations Center, I mean, everybody knows that, I mean, security is, is red hot because you're constantly in, a, in this race to say, I want to kind of protect that, whatever that asset is before somebody causes an issue in it, a kind of a hacker mail or whatever it is. And so when you look at it from a staffing perspective, to, to be able to have that 24 seven security operations center on their own kind of dime, they're paying a lot for those resources, that staffing, that expertise, and now you have to keep them interested. And so when you like think of from a security operations center or security analyst, they want to be exposed into many different things. And sitting at an MSP, if you're a security analyst, you're exposed into many different things. So you're not just looking at a 50 person company and this is the way we did it and this is that little box. You're exposed into, oh, you know what? This is what we do for this scale of company. This is how we approach it for that scale of company. So it gives it, makes it much more interesting and therefore kind of retaining those employees is much more likely. 
Um, but again, I, I kind of go back to it's it's we're not trying to always take the entire elephant and kind of or the whale or whatever you want to call it and say, I have to solve everything and it's only our way or no way. It's really meant to be how can we help this specific company with this specific scenario? For the record, in 20 plus years, you talk about this idea of um, an IT person saying I'm at risk or worried about, you know, they're going to bring on an MSP and that's going to lead to their downfall and their exit. In 20 plus years, the only time I've seen somebody in IT being exited after bringing an MSP, that company had already made the decision to fire them and was looking for a way to then exit that employee. I have never seen a case where a company hires an MSP, which then results in the exit or reduction in IT staff. And usually, um, your point that you just made, they're looking to free up that resource and that team to do things that create leverage and value for the business as opposed to patching. I mean, who wants to, I mean, but seriously, like who wants to be like, well, we show up on the, and be like their job. What do you, what's your job? Oh, I'm, I'm responsible for patching a thousand workstations. I, I mean, you know, I'd, I'd want to blow my brains out. Like, I don't care what tool you're using. Like, uh, you know, like, give me a break. So I will depend. Uh, so we have a strong platform team and that's what they focus on. They, they're, they do a fantastic job, but it's, it's there. I mean, for scale across thousands of, of clients, right? Like it's exactly. a different challenge. It's not like you're, you're sitting in a company with 200 desktops. You got to go run around and make sure, you know, you're running windows update on everything, right? Like it's a, it's a completely different thing that you're talking and, about. And that's, that's it, the huge differentiator for, for that you're hitting on. So when you look at Microsoft that rolls out a patch every, I mean, uh, the, the second Tuesday of the, of the month, if that's an, an afterthought for this person, you don't have somebody that at, kind of lives and breathes that on a, on a day-to-day -day basis. They just do this as a side. I'm a server admin. Now suddenly I'm going to handle the patch and now, or I'm the network guy during the day and now suddenly I'm going to do this or at night I'm going to take on call for security operations center kind of roles. It, it makes it really challenging for them internally. Um, and unfortunately, a lot of times that leads to burnout. Um, but to your point about the kind of elevating the, their IT staff and capabilities, it really does that. So, I mean, you look at how a business wants to grow. Is it just the basic? Is it interesting to any of those employees to just do the basic blocking and tackling? Those need to get done. Absolutely. All the, all the things that, that you need to have from a foundation have to get done. But if you can elevate your team to say, here's what I want to develop from my capabilities. Here's what I want to offer from a, a enhancements to differentiate the organization, whether it's uh, a new mobile application or it's a new service, or I want to do more with SharePoint. It, it's really allowing them to, to kind of grow the team. And, and again, going back to making it interesting for those employees. If you're doing the same kind of monotonous thing day in, day out, the first thing they're going to do is look for the door. I'm going to be able to say, you know what, I'm not challenged. I don't like this. I'm really bored with what I'm doing. I don't see a growth path. I don't see any kind of opportunities ahead of me. I'm going to look elsewhere. And that's that's where, unfortunately, it leads to a lot of risk for clients. Through uh, onboarding implementation for Thrive. So, you know, you've, you've gotten to the point, a company has signed a contract with you. Let's say, hypothetically, they're... 500 employees and um you know one or two it people internally you know so it's kind of like a mid-size right we're not talking about like an smb with nothing we're not talking about a huge enterprise it's just looking for one or two services from you so i think probably like 500 they're going to consume a lot of resources from you um what is what what is what does implementation and onboarding look like how long does it take what steps are you going through? who's involved what's the back and forth um what's what's what is that process 
Got it. So, so we have a, a strong, so Thrive has a, a strong PMO organization, so project management organ, organization. So immediately when somebody uh, signs whatever the opportunity is or whatever the contract is, they are assigned a project manager and that project manager is essentially becomes the ringleader. So they'll do everything from drawing in uh, project engineering resources. So I need somebody from the uh, Microsoft kind of focus that's going to do all of the Office 365 kind of migrations. I want to go from on-prem exchange to, to Microsoft. I want to have, I have a networking team that's going to get engaged on for, you mentioned about like FortiGate firewalls and Meraki switches and the like. So they'll bring in those individual project engineers for those specific tasks. And if it was a security analyst, for example, that's brought in for security related tools, each one of those security engineers or um, security analysts, I should say, um, are responsible for their individual swim lane. So the project manager themselves will be defining, here's the project plan, the Gantt chart, the project plan, whatever it's going to be. Here's the cadence for the calls, um, making sure that the, the resources are defined. Here's the date that they're going to be engaged in it. Here's the tasks that they're going to complete, making sure that they're aligned from a, a project perspective. And that may also and does include the customer as well. If, say, for example, a customer has a specific dependency that, okay, this project needs to be completed for that, or we need to order these circuits before I can implement firewalls, it's making sure that the customers held accountable for that timeline, as well as the project engineers internally. And then we'll set up cadence calls based on customer need. It might be weekly, it might be a couple times a week, or it might be check-ins every other week. So it really depends on, on on how many individual kind of streams are running simultaneously and really what what is the appetite from the client perspective. At what point is a pod identified and assigned? I mean, is a pod part of the implementation or do you have in implementation engineers and analysts and then after that you get into support and maintenance and then that gets assigned to a pod or, you know, what's what's that, you know, where's, where's what's that transition? Yeah, so from a project engineer perspective, they're responsible for, um, uh, whether it's migrating into, say, for example, uh, on-prem uh, server infrastructure that you have, you want to migrate into Thrive Cloud, that onboarding that you're going through where you're standing up that environment, project engineering is responsible for the kind of the care and feeding. Once that is into a go-live state, now that project engineer, the project manager, the account management team has, uh, has uh, interfaces with the service delivery team that now says, okay, we're all in agreement. The documentation's right, the Visio diagram's completed. We've got all of the information is, in, is captured within our internal systems. I see all the monitoring is set up properly. So all of those individual checklists are, are defined and completed. And at that point is where the acceptance was from an ongoing support. So that project engineer will then hand over a fully functional and fully complete uh, system. At the same time, we also have QA kind of going through to validate, okay, were any steps missed? Did we have anything? Was maybe something didn't have the right monitoring or we didn't have the agent loaded on there properly? Or, you know, the documentation should have been updated. We're going to make sure that it gets updated. So it's giving that QA process. Um, we have QA process both in our, our service delivery service desk perspective of how tickets were handled and smile back capability and, and the like, and making sure that QA process, but also from a, from a project perspective. I would assume, although my mother would tell me not to assume, 
um, that we're talking about, you know, a, a monitoring agent, an RMM agent. Um, I mean, what's what's being installed and deployed? I mean, is that that's also probably based on what services you're offering and how deep you're going into a scope of work. But, you know, if you're going at, at 500, let's assume you're going pretty deep into, you know, device management. So this is really a push towards, you know, your monitors in place, you're collecting data, you can test, you know, see what's happening on the devices, you can remotely manage the devices and connect to them beyond just like an M, you know, MDM, but, you know, an actual RMM agent. And then this all gets tied into your own service desk. It, it is. Yeah. And, and then all of those tools, that, whether it's monitoring or RMM, as you mentioned, um, all feed into our ServiceNow platform. So ServiceNow is our, is our, it's from a change management perspective, ITSM, incident management, client portal, everything. So all of the the uh, backup reports, security reports, or, 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 or the like is all captured on your client portal. It provides a front end for um, end users to be able to open up cases. They can look at knowledge bases. They can look at self uh, resetting their own passwords, for example. All of that's right at their fingertips. But when you get into like a, an admin level or a POC, we call them, a point of contact, they'll have much more visibility across their entire enterprise. What's happening? I want to see dashboard reports. What's uh, the speed of answering the calls? How are calls being kind of, uh, how are tickets being opened? Is it somebody that's going through the portal? Is it somebody that's, that's calling the service desk? Is it somebody that's emailing? And you can really see if there's any kind of patterns, so we have visibility to, and we, we're looking at all that data as well to be able to see, are there repeating patterns where, you know what, um, it's this time of day on Monday where we get a huge volume and it seems to be isolated or, or centered around these specific devices or service. Well, maybe that's a red hot area that we really need to kind of focus on. Client has access to all that dashboard and visibility as well. Um, and then from a from a, a platform, as I mentioned, monitoring and RMM, all of that feeds into ServiceNow. So we'll use that as a CMDB. Um, so all of the inventory, uh, here's the serial number of your servers, workstations, switches, wireless access points, whatever it may be, all feed into that environment. And then we can do a dip into Warranty Master to say, okay, here's your device, here's the serial number, here's when the, the contract that you have or service support expires on this such and such date. And they have access to see all of that data, pull an inventory anytime that they want to. Do you have clients that still want to run their own service desks or monitoring infrastructure in addition to yours or want to tie in with yours with theirs? Or, you know, they want to run, they've been running Jira service desk or they've been running their own service now or whatever it may be. And they don't want to get rid of what they have because they have data in it and they want to still own and maintain that data. Or what would be another example of this? Um, maybe they want to maintain, you know, a tier one function help desk with their end users and then they want to, you know, augment with your teams. So they want the end user interacting with their own internal tools as opposed to, you know, here's, here's this external partner. Um, how, how do you manage that? So we have, uh, so a couple different solutions that, that we have. One is uh, we're branded as transform it transform it is literally, so we manage service now and all of the capabilities um, we've, we've spent well over seven figures of, of development dollars essentially to to kind of optimize and customize and kind of expand the capabilities of, of the platform and so we extend that to clients so they would have a, say for example if there was a, a a company that had their own it staff whether it's one person or whether it's 200 people they could have a, a team of it staff that's re responsible for 
this specific layer, whatever it may be. Maybe they're providing help desk support and Thrive is providing security operations center, um, all the security kind of capabilities and networking and firewall and the like. So you can define within that same exact ServiceNow kind of portal to be able to say, okay, these are the, the incidents or cases that have been opened and I'm going to route this towards the customer as the primary kind of uh, triage and they're going to close and work on that ticket. But at any point in time, they could say, you know what, Thrive, I need you to jump in because it doesn't look like it's an end user issue. It's something in the firewall that I think is blocking it. A rule needs to be updated. So that same exact ticket number, or we call them cases, that same exact case number could then be transferred directly over. Uh, in addition, within the platform, you can do things like I can have technician to technician chat directly through the system to say, okay, I'm just about to send this your way. You can see all the different fields that have been updated with all, and it will literally highlight every field. But prior to sending that over to you, I want to make sure that this is really the reason why. So you can, of course, capture some of the, the updates within the ticket and notes. But if you want to just literally have a technician to technician, it really kind of gives you that capability uh, directly within the system. Now, an external ticketing system like uh, Jira or many others that you have this, these other platforms, some customers are really embedded and ingrained with that platform. And we have ServiceNow with, with the integrations and APIs and, and kind of, we'll just call them APIs. There are many platforms that can integrate directly with it. So it, we do have the capability to be able to kind of extend if they had their platform and they've spent a considerable amount of dollars and, and they're in it for a long-term contract and not going away from it we can have integrations to be able to say their platform talks with our platform, updates the ticket. And the only difference, I guess, from that perspective is going to be, or not the only, but it's it's going to be in this ticketing platform has this ticket ID, that ticketing platform has that ticket ID, but they all have references and hooks between the two to, to say, here's the linkage between. Onboarding and offboarding is a challenge everywhere. It was a challenge when... Um, you still had a, a primary office locations and people were coming to the office. And now with more and more workforces being remote and remote centric, that accelerates this as a challenge. Um, are you guys, is this something that you're tackling for your clients? I mean, are you, uh, you know, maintaining equipment life cycles, maintaining, hey, we just hired this person, they need this equipment, they are, this is where they're at, they need you know, like set them up or this person just left, you know, re I mean, th that in and of itself at, at scale becomes challenging. I mean, a, a thousand person enterprise has a constant churn of people every month coming in and leaving the organization for whatever reasons. And, um, how, you know, and how, I think part of the problem that we've seen with that over the years is just maintaining inventory and saying, okay, do we have a strategy of like how much workstations do we have on the go? Or do we need to order the workstations or reorder devices? Or do we order from Dell or do we order from Lenovo or whatever the actual Apple, you know, whatever the actual ordering structure is. Is this something that you, you have a solution for? Is this just something that you talk to with the client and say, hey, how do you guys want to manage this? Do you want us to help you with this? We can help you this way. Like, you know, um, what, what is common in, in there nowadays? Yeah, and so, and I'll kind of go back to the, the power that ServiceNow and the capabilities that are built into the system. That So we have a, an, a, a strong onboarding and offboarding capability where you can have 
where a client can can log directly on the portal or we can integrate with um, HR platforms, for example, that they'll say this user is starting in on this date. This is the email. This is the information. This is the title, the reporting. This is the model that we're going to use. Reference this specific model, meaning that they're going to have whoever Daryl Strawberry, whoever it's going to be, and model after their their profile. What do they have? What access? What applications? What capabilities? What what distribution lists are they going to be tagged to? What what other services are they going to have? Um, inside the, also in that drop down would be. Do they need equipment? Do you need monitors, desktops, I mean, uh, laptops, docking stations? Um, do they need other uh, kind of ancillary equipment as well? And through that process, it will literally kick off kind of multiple threads. So maybe it's automation to be able to say, okay, I'm going to do a procurement request that goes out to a VAR that orders equipment, specifies that it's going to be auto uh, into an autopilot provision, and that all of that, all the parameters, the registry settings, the, the uh, stripping out bloatware, installing specific applications, do whatever it needs to do to customize to that specific user is all provisioned directly to it. In addition, we can also layer in that because you've modeled after this specific user, here are the other applications or personalization that need to be applied. Or as I mentioned about ordering equipment, it's uh, here's the monitor docking station and, uh, and the like that needs to come along with it. And we'll coordinate all of that as it gets um, handed out directly to the client. So Judy starts uh, next on, uh, we'll say May 1st, because it's coming up. We'll go through the process, literally get all the equipment, go through autopilot, get it ready to be provisioned, push that all that config onto the device itself. And then also from the equipment, here's the monitor docking station, here's whatever uh, devices you need, maybe cabling, and all that gets literally drop shipped uh, to the client. We can have a technician meet that equipment out of, out of that site, install the equipment if necessary. So you mentioned integrating with a VAR. You guys also function as a VAR with uh, with certain certain equipment, certain logos. So we we don't we're not a VAR, but we so we will leverage if a customer wants to either purchase uh, equipment. Um, we can leverage VARs to be able to like laptop, for example. They can they can go through. But what we do have is we call equipment based managed services. Um, think of it as much more like a an a Comcast set-top box model, where we'll provide the appliance, whatever that appliance is, but it's really the, all the services that we're looking to deliver kind of there. So the day-to-day -day updates, the day-to-day -day kind of support for it, um, if there's any kind of rules, that maybe, like a firewall, for example, a FortiGate firewall, will we'll provide the actual FortiGate, like a 100F, and all of the management that comes with it. So and whether it's reporting capabilities and, and uh, configuration or updates and the day-to-day the -day care and feeding. We can do that with um, a very wide array of platforms and services, whether it's from uh, servers um, to, uh, to wireless access points and pretty much anything in between. But if, the, if, a, if a customer said, you know, we we're going to buy 100 Dell laptops, this isn't something that necessarily that you would, you would buy and resell to them as a VAR. You'd say, okay, we're going to integrate with Dell. You have a VAR that you're already using. You want to go out and buy MacBooks because you've decided to go into a MacBook, you know, an Apple MacBook device, you know, stand, you know, standard. Um, you know, they would still maintain that VAR relationship, or you'd help them, you know, directly with Apple or directly with Dell or directly with Lenovo or whatever it was actually. Yeah. So absolutely. So if a, so going back to the autopilot, for example, if it's a if it's a Windows laptop, um, and they have a, re a relationship with uh, CDW or for something like that. 
if they specified in there that it's going to be autopilot provision, we can still leverage our autopilot kind of configuration capabilities to be able to say, I'm going to push this policy, here's the applications going to install and the like. If, say for example, a client on the other end of the spectrum wanted to purchase all of their equipment through Thrive, and we'll, through our procurement department, we will reach out to various, um, whether it's Dell, whether it's Anovo, whether it's going to be Ingram Micro or others, to be able to say, I need to order this type of equipment. What is the what is the pricing? What is the, the configuration? What's the availability and the like? And we'll coordinate all of that. So everything from the actual hardware kind of kind of delivery uh, to set up configuration and the like can all be handled and managed by us. Uh, but again, kind of going back to the, not every client is looking to just purchase hardware. If they're they're looking for the service that gets delivered. If it's something like, as I mentioned, uh, whether it's a, a firewall or a switch, wireless access point, a server, or anything along those lines, um, we can just provide that as a service. They don't have to, there's no capital outlay. They don't have to pay anything in advance. Uh, there's no maintenance that they have to go support. It's just the monthly recurring uh, for the service. Network equipment plays perfectly into that, right? You need a firewall, it's this much per month. You need a switch, it's this much per month. Um, yeah. You know, for the rest of this, when you say service delivery, how many different <clears throat> approaches to billing, you know, or engagement models does Thrive have? Because, I mean, classically, an MSP, <coughs> wow, classically, an MSP is going to market and they're saying, hey, we're selling time, you know, and they're going to package time in different ways. But really what they're doing is they're selling their, their engineering time, you know, at a markup, accounting for, you know, beach time, right? Um, so, you know, when I, when we talk, we've, we've talked about a lot of different areas of, you know, of IT augmented, augmentation, MSP, SOC, all these different things, right? You know, is how much, I mean, what is your billing structure and your engagement structure? I mean, are you still encapsulating time where we're saying, hey, at this size, you know, we're expecting to spend this much time, or you're saying, hey, you know, it's, it's you have this many seats, it's this, you know, this is your options, it's this price, or, you know, you want this level of service, you know, and, you know, how, you know, what is, what does this look like? So, I mean, I would say it's going to vary based on on the, the size and scale and, and what we're delivering for the client. If we're only doing a specific point solution going back to OS patching, here's the delivery model, here's the, the monthly recurrent. Um, everything from a Thrive perspective, I would say from a service perspective, is a consistent monthly recurring. You know what your budget is, you know what's going to be delivered, and here's it's, it's X number of products or, or services that you have translates to why here's your here's your monthly recurrent maybe not why it's probably in a bad bad choice of a letter but here's what the actual cost is to deliver this solution if that scales and i needed 10 times as many obviously there's going to be some kind of scale adjustment that's going to go on the other what we don't have is we're not providing kind of a a here's a a nine to five solution at this price and and they and they the then second shift is going to be a different price and and the other and it's it's all 24 7. so at the end of the, the end of the day from our perspective and especially when when clients that have kind of uh the like-minded clients that that have kind of the the auditing compliance and, and kind of the 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 mindset that i need to be up and running at all times that's really what we're delivering so it's 24 7 for all of the security services, it's 24-7 for all of the services that we're delivering. So if Judy's in the middle of the night running into an issue because she can't open uh, PowerPoint or can't connect to email, well, it might be critical before uh, because she's got this important meeting the next morning. 
I'm not gonna wait till eight o'clock in the morning to service her. I'm gonna be on the phone with that person resolving the issue in the middle of the night if I need to. So do you have clients that will that'll do um you know help desk internally themselves, you know, with certain hours and they'll um you know, then roll over to Thrive for help desk after hours, you know, if so if Judy calls in at eleven o'clock at night, you know, that's not going on to an on call help desk person inside the company, but it's going to your team? We do have, uh, it's, it's not as, as prevalent, but it, we do have cases, cases where we'll augment essentially the, their, their existing ta- uh, staff or team. We may have ones where I, I have boots on the ground, uh, they, meaning that they, they have on, on-site IT staff. As you mentioned, maybe it's during the day and they can handle certain things and they can kind of run around and, and support all of the local, but they don't have the staffing or expertise and they need either a lifeline where they're con- contacting us to be able to say, you know what, a little bit beyond my ski tips, Thrive, can you step in and help me on this situation? We'll do that. Or we'll do, uh, as you mentioned, whether it's after hours kind of take over or not take over, but adding in augmenting their actual support where you're on the, okay, now you're on the hook that it's the clock struck at this specific time. Uh, but I would say the vast majority of our clients are, are they are absolutely it's uh it's thrive provides this service and and is res- provides that responsibility and ownership for that so what again whether it's end user support help desk support or whether it's or it's security related services traditionally we're not kind of passing the ball back and forth but it's not it's uh we look on an individual case basis essentially tell me about thrive cloud and position it against azure i mean i and and, and again assumption on my part but I wouldn't say that that decision is going to be on-prem versus off-prem, right? Really, it's probably, you know, your infrastructure versus an Azure infrastructure that clients are looking at. Yeah, it, so I mean, it, it kind of going back to the, the education perspective, from our perspective, it's, you know, what, world, work, what workload belongs where? So we can s- certainly support Azure, great platform, very scalable. Lots of capabilities, especially when you get into like platform as a service and, and, and the like. Um, but one of the challenges with all kind of a hyperscale clouds is the variability in billing is what we run into. So you've got, I've generated, I, I kept this platform up and running longer than I expected. I've sent too much data. I've I've run the register too much. And, and now suddenly you've got this ebb and flow. Oh, sorry. I thought my Teams was off. Um, you've got this this variability in in the billing because it's now suddenly it was this at this month and next thing the the next month jumps up and then and it goes back down. What a Thrive Cloud really will do is so Thrive taking a step back is what is Thrive Cloud? So we have multiple cloud locations that are at various co-location, very large scale co-location. So we provide everything within our cage environment. So it's all of our equipment. It's all managed by us. It, it's And part of that is the solution called Thrive Cloud. So Thrive Cloud is a true VMware stack, as you imagine. Um, we'll manage up through the operating system, potentially higher. We could do OS patching. We could do EDR on top of that. Or a client, if they said they're going to handle the, the patching and EDR themselves, Fine. Well, well, you can just end at the operating system and the licensing that's there. But really kind of going back to from a a consistency and delivery and from a a pricing model perspective, they know exactly where the bill is because it's a it's a it's a flat, consistent fee on a month to month basis. You have this number of virtual machines. 
you have this month for my CPU RAM and disk perspective, and here is your backup event, here's what the cost is, and that stays consistent. Obviously, if you ever scaled and you decided I'm going to add four more virtual machines or 10 more, obviously that's going to get adjusted. But now you know exactly where that fixed fee is. Right? So it really eliminates the variability. Other things that we can do is adding in like disaster recovery as a service. So if you're in uh, Boston in our Thrive Cloud location and you want to have complete Ava region, we have another Thrive Cloud in Texas, for example. Uh, or, or New York and, and others where you could replicate from Thrive Cloud Boston and have your recovery in Texas. So not only do you have immutable backups, you have all of your, your data is kept uh, in, uh, the, in, uh, in, in a, a solid kind of protected state, but also if there ever was a disaster, you have the ability to, to fail over. We'll stand that up environment or stand that environment up for you um, and provide provide access uh, for you to be able to get into that environment. Also includes tests. Um, you can have multiple tests per year or a single test per Super year. Super important. If you're not testing and you do nothing else, test your backup, please. Please, please, please. Agreed. Um, so for companies that are already using like Verm, uh, what, what's popular, Veeam and Zerto, right? It's like, it kind of feels yeah. like you're either on one or the other. Could they actually take and, and use you as, an, as a, uh, an endpoint of target within Veeam and Zerto to, you know, back up their environment into Thrive Cloud and, and then be able to e execute a DR with that? Yeah, and, and you hit right on the head uh, two of our uh, very important vendors. So we leverage Veeam as a, as a means for backing up, whether it's from Thrive Cloud and you have resources that are there and you wanted to back that up to a, to a remote target, or it's on-prem. If they had uh, on-prem servers, physical or virtual, we can back those up with Veeam. And then uh, same thing, we can store that into a kind of a, a mutable kind of target, whether it's sitting in Texas or Boston or wherever. Um, and be able to kind of protect that data. From a, a real-time replication, Zerto is, uh, has been a fantastic product. I mean, they're, um, they're now obviously an HP company, but uh, they are, have been, uh, I don't want to call them a clear leader, but they really are kind of a, a significant leader in, in the space. Um, and we've had great success. So again, whether it's Thrive Cloud or you want to replicate Here's the VMs that I want to protect. I'm continuing to push that data, change block tracking and pushing it from point A to point B. And, and as those changes are coming in, it's, it's just going across the wire and, and, and replicating to the destination. We'll do that both for customers that have their on-prem infrastructure, virtualized infrastructure, um, either Hyper-V or VMware into, um, into a Thrive Cloud disaster recovery. And again, it's, to me, it's, it's delivering the end solution we're on the hook for delivering the recovery, executing the recovery, and executing the tests. Um, do you, do you, are you doing this with VMware Horizon? Are you doing desktop as well? And, or is this just... We do have desktop as a service. We're not using VMware Horizon. Um, so today we have a couple different flavors. Uh, one is if you wanted to be on Thrive Cloud, for example, we'll leverage Citrix Cloud as a front end. Um, if you want to be in Azure, we can do Citrix Cloud as a front end, or we can do native Azure virtual desktop as well. So we'll deliver kind of end user support. So all of the, the kind of spinning up the desktops, making sure everything's working. I can't print, I can't do something. So all the benefits a regular help desk would deliver, it just happens to be in a virtualized environment. Eric, what have we not talked about? I mean, I'm looking at my note sheet here and I'm trying to think of other really good questions to ask you, but you know, um, Oh, you know, here's a here's a good one. Um, you know, 
scaled up to 1,200 employees, and you mentioned uh, now pushing international. And this makes a lot of sense for anybody that's a multinational corporation based out of the United States that then has operations in other markets. Are you have have you gone as far as multi language support within your environment? Are you hiring you know native Spanish speakers or French speakers or I mean how how deep into the international space have you gotten? So we do have uh, we have some uh, international Spanish is definitely uh, is definitely one. So we have uh, we have a pod we have. Uh, Architects, we have others that, that are, are uh, multilingual. Um, we do have presence in in Singapore. Uh, can't, obviously, UK is not that's English, so it's not going to be uh, that's not going to be the case. But we have uh, we do have uh, presence. I would say, in, from a Singapore perspective, we're in Australia, UK, um, as well as up and down the East Coast and and various places in the United States. But I would say from uh, what languages specifically? I would say Spanish and English are, are probably the, the, the two today. Eric, my main takeaway from this is Thrive is much bigger than I thought you were. And, you know, on a, on a, on a quick glance and a cursory kind of a, a evaluation examination from the outside, um, I don't, I, I'm actually very pleasantly surprised. I mean, it's, it's uh, to operate at scale for for this much time, but also at this size, is really telling. I mean, it, it, it says a lot about what it is you guys are doing and that you do it well because, uh, you know, 900 engineers, I mean, that is a significant amount of infrastructure. And part of what I'm always looking for in evaluating and talking about is leverage at scale, right, and and creating that. You know, you've, you've, you've spent a ton of money customizing service now you know a 10 person msp does not have the i mean they're picking a platform they're going to pick service now they're going to pick um uh, kaisera they're going to pick something and they're going to say okay this is our platform and whatever that platform does is what they do and there is there is an incredible amount of value that gets created once you cross into that you know next those next sizes when we talk about like the smb desert msps have the same problem msps smaller than 50 mm -hmm. employees are in the same barren wasteland as all the other SMBs that they're probably supporting right. out there in the world of just not being big enough to do certain things. I don't care how good their teams are, mm -hmm. you just you just can't, you know. So um, I'm very impressed. It's been an absolute pleasure, you know, going through this. I've got a ton of notes. I'm sure we could probably talk for another two hours and 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 just you know go in circles and deeper and deeper and deeper down this rabbit hole. But I will give you the last word. Anything that we have not you know, dug into that you think we should, we should touch on before we wrap this up. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I get, I really want to thank you for your time, Max. I mean, it, it was, I, I enjoyed the conversation. Uh, there's a, a, a lots and lots of capabilities that we can have uh, and that we can provide, I, I would say as at Thrive. Um, and again, I mean, I think it's, it's really meant to be the education to me is, is really such a huge part of, of educating the client, making sure that they, they understand exactly here are the ways that we can help. Here are the challenges that you're up against, and how are the things that kind of align there? So, it's uh, we'll. Uh, I mean, obviously, I'd love to say that we're we can provide all things to all all clients. Uh, there are definitely going to be fits, and then maybe there's some that we we don't. But at the end of the day, is somebody if I can educate a client and really kind of get them to understand here are the exposures, here are the needs, and here's what you got to solve, and they take that on and solve it. It's protecting them. So, and that makes me kind of a, obviously. I would love to have it if it was my product and solution that that's fulfilling that need. But at the end of the day, you're looking to solve that for them and kind of eliminate that exposure. So, 
And so in what that also creates is an opportunity in their mind for, you know what, they provide this good guidance in the past and I'll talk to them on the next opportunity. Awesome. Again, I'm Max Clark with IT Broker. This is Eric Hassenstab with Thrive Networks and this was a Tech Deep Dive. Mm-hmm.